Last February, the committee launched an investigation into allegations of misconduct made by six Indian tribes against their former lobbyist, Jack Abramoff, and former political consultant, Michael Scanlon. Later in the year, the committee held two hearings examining the duo's representation of the Saginaw Chippewa Indian Tribe of Michigan, the Agua Band of Cahillo Indians of Palm Springs, and the Tigua Tribe of El Paso. Among other things, the committee determined that Mr. Scanlon's companies collected at least $66 million from the six tribes and secretly paid Mr. Abramoff almost $22 million from that amount. Today's hearing is the third in this series of hearings. The committee is pleased to have with us representatives of the Mississippi Band of Choctaw Indians, Nell Rogers, who was the tribe's primary contact with Jack Abramoff and Michael Scanlon, and Donald Kilgore, the tribe's attorney general, who is presently examining the full extent of the tribe's injuries. Also attending as Chief Martin's personal representative is Charlie Benn, the director of administration in the office of the chief. Chief Martin and I met in my office just weeks ago to discuss this hearing. Given the knowledge and candor of Ms. Rogers and Mr. Kilgore, the committee concluded that Chief Martin's presence would not be necessary. The committee nevertheless appreciates Chief Martin's, Chief Martin's graciousness in sending his personal representative here today. During our meeting, Chief Martin shared with me the rumors and misinformation that persists about the committee's investigation. Let me reiterate the focus of the committee's investigation and today's hearing. The committee's investigation is and always has been directed at the allegations of misconduct made by a number of tribes against their former lobbyists and political consultants and the consequent harm to the tribes. This investigation has never been an attack on tribal sovereignty nor an assault on the tribe's legitimate participation in our great democracy. This particular hearing is not aimed at Chief Martin, his administration, or the tribe. There have been no allegations of wrongdoing made against them, nor have we seen any evidence of such wrongdoing. With that in mind, I thank Chief Martin for the Mississippi Choctaw's complete and continuing cooperation in the committee's investigation. During our collaborations, the tribe has raised concerns about public revelation of certain matters it deems protected by the First Amendment. Sensitive to the tribe's concern, Rather, whether couched in constitutional terms or not, the committee and the tribe have successfully worked together to ensure that the committee has full access to pertinent information without needlessly disclosing information potentially damaging to the tribe. It's a commitment I ask my colleagues to honor and respect and one which I intend to uphold as chairman. From our first hearing emerged the utter contempt that Mr. Abramoff and Mr. Scanlon held for their tribal clients. In the second, Mr. Abramoff's and Mr. Scanlon's insatiable greed came to the fore. Today's hearing is about more than contempt, even more than greed. It's simply and sadly a tale of betrayal. When that betrayal began, exactly when and why, we do not and may not ever know. What we do know is that Mr. Abramoff betrayed a long-standing client, betrayed his colleagues, betrayed his friends. Of all his tribal representations, the Mississippi Choctaw was Jack Abramoff's large, longest. As far back as 1995, the Mississippi Choctaw hired Mr. Abramoff while at Preston Gates to represent their interests on Capitol Hill. By all accounts, Mr. Abramoff and his team discharged their duties ably and with great success. When Mr. Abramoff and his team left Preston Gates for Greenberg Traurig at the end of 2000, the tribe moved their account with them. 
Over the preceding five years, the tribe, and more particularly Chief Martin and his aides, had grown to trust Jack Abramoff and his team. Little did they know that trust, that trust would soon be abused. <laughs> Over the next three years, it appears that Mr. Abramoff, separately and in concert with Mr. Scanlon and others, defrauded the tribe in three ways. First is not new to this story. The previous hearings revealed the secret partnership shared by Mr. Abramoff and Scanlon and the artificially inflated prices they obtained under false pretenses. The second and third ways have not yet been examined, and these are the use of tax-exempt organizations to affect their scheme, and the fraudulent billing of fees and expenses by Jack Abramoff and his team at Greenberg Traurig. According to witnesses, Mr. Abramoff introduced the tribe to Mr. Scanlon and recommended it hire him in late 2001. The two, the two presented Mr. Scanlon as an independent operator. Never did they confess their secret partnership to the tribe. Never did they reveal that together they set prices to account for Mr. Abramoff's stake in the profits. Never did they even hint that the two devoted a small fraction of the payments to the uses intended by the tribe, pocketing the rest. Until last year, the tribe had no reason to question the man that had represented and advised them for years. At all times, the tribe understood and expected that Mr. Abramoff and Mr. Scanlon were working in their best interests. Even today, the tribe could not have envisioned the betrayal it suffered at their hands. And how big was that betrayal? According to January 8, 2002 email from Mr. Abramoff to Mr. Scanlon, the two had charged the Mississippi Choctaw $7.7 million for projects in 2001. Of that amount, Mr. Scanlon spent $1.2 million for the efforts. He and Mr. Abramoff split an astounding $6.5 million. Not content with these astronomical sums, Mr. Abramoff and Mr. Scanlon conspired for more. In a November 4, 2002 email, Mr. Scanlon asked Mr. Abramoff how he should seek more money from the tribe's legislative liaison, Nell Rogers. Quote, Last time you said to me to just tell her that we are spending our own money to get it done and we're going deep into the hole. Mr. Abramoff replied, I think you should call her and tell her that we have turned the corner, but you are pouring it on to make sure we win. Tell her as of now you're finally willing to say that we will win this, but laughingly say, I don't know how I'm going to get back all the money I had to dump into this. This, of course, was untrue. Since that first hearing, Mr. Abramoff and Mr. Scanlon have suggested to the tribes that the two were not partners and that the sums Mr. Scanlon paid Mr. Abramoff were merely referral fees. That explanation strains credulity. Not only did Mr. Scanlon pay Mr. Abramoff half his company's profits, conspire with him to set prices and refer to him as a partner, we now know that Mr. Abramoff was prepared to claim to prospective financiers on another venture that, quote, 2000 was a business transition year where, where I, Mr. Abramoff, was building CCS. CCS, of course, was Capital Campaign Strategies, a company owned and operated by Mr. Scanlon. Last year, the committee reported that Mr. Abramoff's and Mr. Scanlon's partnership apparently commenced in June 2001. It appears that their scam actually started earlier. It apparently began with payments to the American International Center, the self-styled international think tank in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, 
that was Greenberg Traurig's fifth largest lobbying client in 2002, paying $840,000 in fees to the firm. With us today are the center's former directors, Brian Mann and David Grosh. These two gentlemen will hopefully be able to educate us on the nature and scope of the American International Center's business. I suspect both men will be surprised to learn that Mr. Scanlon and Mr. Abramoff used the center to carry out their allegedly fraudulent scheme. As an example of this, in a May 2, 2001 email, Mr. Abramoff informed Mr. Scanlon that the Mississippi Choctaw were about to pay money into the American International Center. And according to Mr. Abramoff, quote, I'm going to try to get us $175,000, 100000 to Ralph, 25000 to contribution, 5000 to immediately to, conserve, to the Conservative <coughs> Caucus, rest, give me five. Ultimately, in April 2003, the AIC paid Mr. Abramoff's company, K-Gold, almost $1 million. Through their Give Me Five scheme, seems to have begun with a modest $50,000, as we know, it would soon rocket into millions. Based on the evidence thus far, the Mississippi Choctaw paid approximately $15 million directly to Mr. Scanlon's companies, and Mr. Scanlon paid Mr. Abramoff more than $5 million from those funds. Unfortunately, the alleged fraud perpetrated against the tribe does not end there. In 2002, Mr. Abramoff and Mr. Scanlon successfully employed other vehicles to extract another $2 million from the tribe. Apparently, at Mr. Scanlon's direction, the tribe paid $1 million into the Capital Athletic Foundation, Jack Abramoff's personal charitable foundation. The tribe in intended and understood that the $1 million would be distributed to various grassroots organizations to advance the tribe's legislative interests. At all times relevant, the tribe understood that the foundation's sole function was a conduit of money, never a legitimate charity. The tribe neither intended nor authorized its money to be used as a charitable contribution to the foundation. It certainly never agreed to the uses that Mr. Abramoff ultimately put those funds. To what uses did Mr. Abramoff and his foundation put the money received from the Mississippi Choctaw and other donors in 2002? According to the foundation's tax and accounting records, nearly 80% of the funds went to the Eshkol Academy, the all-boys Jewish school established by Jack Abramoff. The foundation also paid a monthly stipend and jeep payments to Mr. Abramoff's high school friend living in, Israel, in the Israeli West Bank who conducted sniper workshops for members of the Israeli Defense Force and others. As Mr. Abramoff tried to square these payments with the charitable mission of the foundation, according to Mr. Abramoff's secretary, his friend suggested that he could write, quote, some kind of letter with his sniper workshop logo and letterhead. It is a, quote, educational, unquote, entity of sorts. Mr. Abramoff could only respond, no, don't do that. I don't want sniper letterhead. Based on evidence examined by the committee, Mr. Abramoff adjusted the transactional structure on the books to continue, in the words of his tax planner, quote, the jeep payments as well as all the other military expenses 
that don't look good on the foundation's books, unquote. His cohort in Israel did so by establishing a bank account in the name of a school that apparently existed only on paper. Whether the substance is opposed to the form of the transaction comports with our tax laws will likely be of interest to the IRS. Interestingly, in 2002, the foundation listed as beneficiaries of its largesse the Alexandria Police Youth Camp Foundation, Boy Scouts of America, YMCA of Metropolitan Washington, and other legitimate organizations. Yet cumulatively, those organizations received only $7,000 in donations that year, a sum that pales in comparison to what each of the three largest recipients received individually. In fact, the listed organizations together received less than 1% of the money spent. Before its website was taken out, Mr. Avermoss Foundation listed its mission as fostering character development through sportsmanship, which it defined as, quote, ethical behavior both on and off the playing field, both in athletics and in business, both as a youth and as an adult. Given what we have learned over the past year and what we will hear today, that mission statement rings hollow. More betrayals, betrayals were to come. On October 2002, Mr. Abramoff and Mr. Scanlon successfully defrauded the tribe of another $1 million. To accomplish this, Jack Abramoff betrayed not just the tribe, but also two longtime friends and violated his fiduciary duty to the nonprofit organization on whose board he sat. The process was twofold. On the top end, Mr. Abramoff directed the tribe to pay $1 million into the National Center for Public Policy Research, upon whose board he sat and whose executive director he knew for over 20 years. To induce the tribe into making the payment, he told them that the money would be used for their grassroots activities, activities which he knew the center could and would not undertake, either on its own or through another. To the center, Mr. Abramoff explained that part of the money was a donation ultimately destined for the Capital Athletic Foundation, and the rest was intended for a huge educational effort the tribe was undertaking to educate the public on the benefits of Indian gaming and the distinction between Indian and non-Indian gaming. The center understood it would participate in that educational effort. On October 10, 2002, the center provided Mr. Abramoff with an invoice for $1 million for, quote, contribution to the National Center for Educational and Research Programs and Activities, unquote. But the tribe never saw that invoice because Mr. Abramoff never sent it. Instead, he sent an invoice fabricated by Mr. Scanlon's shop, purportedly from the National Center for Public Policy Research for, quote, professional services, unquote. That was the invoice the tribe ultimately saw and paid. Once the money arrived at the center, Mr. Abramoff told the center to pay $500,000 to capital campaign strategies, which Mr. Abramoff claimed was performing the heavy lifting on the educational effort, and $50,000 to Nuremberger and Associates, which Mr. Abramoff said would be supervising the efforts. He told the center the remaining $450,000 was intended as a charitable contribution to the Capital Athletic Foundation. In fact, the tribe never intended to donate any of that money to Mr. Abramoff's personal charity. Mr. Nuremberger never worked on behalf of the center or the Choctaw. 
He received his money in repayment of a personal loan he had made Mr. Abramoff years earlier. When Mr. Nuremberger raised concerns about the center repaying the loan, Mr. Abramoff assured him that the funds were due Mr. Abramoff as director of the center. To try and give his activities the veneer of legitimacy, Mr. Abramoff instructed his executive assistant to, quote, make up invoices, unquote, from Nuremberger and Associates and the Capital Athletic Foundation, which he then submitted to the center. According to Mr. Nuremberger, he neither saw nor approved the invoice submitted in his firm's name. Believing the transaction in order and relying upon the word and fiduciary duty of their director, the center dispersed the funds. By abusing the trust of, these, of those involved, Mr. Abramoff and Mr. Scanlon profited by another $1 million. I want to thank Amy Reidenauer, the president of the National Center for Public Pro Policy Research, for agreeing to appear here today to help illuminate what appears to be a $1 million fraud. The third area of possible fraud identified by the committee involves the possible fraudulent billing of fees and expenses by Mr. Abramoff and his team while at Greenberg, Greenberg Traurig. It ranges from charging non-business meals at Mr. Abramoff's restaurant signatures to the impermissible expensing for club dues and other items hidden from the tribe. It apparently also involves the padding of bills. As just one example, when Mr. Abramoff learned that the tribe's bill was nowhere near the $150,000 monthly mark, Mr. Abramoff instructed one of his associates to, quote, add 60 hours, unquote, for him, and to, quote, pump up Scanlon, Todd, and you, give Amy some hours if you have to, unquote. Even when Mr. Scanlon began running his own companies and receiving payments directly from the tribes, Mr. Abramoff nevertheless tried to bill clients for Mr. Scanlon's time. There is other evidence which I believe the Department of Justice should review if it has not already begun to do so. If proven true, such activity would well constitute a violation of the mail and wire fraud statutes. There's much more to this story than I could possibly describe in the limited time we have today. Indeed, the committee has come upon evidence suggesting that Mr. Abramoff may have perpetrated a similar scam on some of his non-tribal clients. And while we cannot emphasize enough the harm Mr. Abramoff and Mr. Scanlon inflicted upon the tribe, we should not overlook the toll their actions took on the men and women they betrayed. How that wound can be salved, I cannot say. I leave it to Mr. Abramoff and Mr. Scanlon to try. I ask the Vice Chairman for his concurrence in having documents that I'll be asking questions on uh, those related to these uh, areas entered as part of today's record. Without objection, I would support that. Mr. Chairman, thank you very much, and um, I will make a similar request that uh, the documents on which I ask questions be made a part of the record. Without objection. Mr. Chairman, uh, this is, as you've described, the disgusting story of greed, unlike any that I have seen in my service in Congress. I think it's important to begin, as you did, to point out that there is no evidence of wrongdoing by the Choctaws, by the uh, Indian tribe that we will be discussed here. Uh, we have had full cooperation. We appreciate the cooperation of Chief Martin and others from that tribe. And it's, it's important to understand that this tribe has been a victim of fraud, we believe, and uh, we will describe some of that in the hearing and learn much more from the witnesses. The um, commitment that the chairman has made in this committee to provide a thorough and an exhaustive investigation of how a number of Indian tribes were deceived and defrauded by Jack Abramoff and 
Mr. Scanlon, is, uh, is important. And today we focus on the Choctaw tribe of Mississippi and how they were victimized. The Choctaw tribe is a notably successful tribe in its business operation. It's the second largest employer in the state of Mississippi. Uh, the tribe has a very substantial annual payroll. Its businesses are diversified and successful. These are business-savvy people with a business plan, and uh, part of their plan was to hire someone whom they could trust to advance their agenda. The Choctaw tribe began its relationship with Jack Abramoff ten years ago. Mr. Abramoff designed a business model for the tribe, running their money through a variety of people and entities for grassroots public policy and public relations purposes. These included Preston Gates, Greenberg Traurig, Americans for Tax Reform, Capital Campaign Strategies, Ralph Reed, and many more. In fact, there were a large number of characters who became recipients of the tribe's money through various means. At some point, it appears to me, in probably around the year 2002, January of 2002, there's a memorandum, in fact, uh, Mr. Abramoff and Mr. Scanlon decided they could be making millions instead of uh, less than that, uh, and they decided they wanted to not to send money to uh, others, including Ralph Reed, and they referred to uh, him as a bad version of us. No more money for him in June, excuse me, January 2002. And then they hatched the scheme whereby Abramoff told the tribe to hire Scanlon for millions. But he failed to tell the tribe that his firm would be getting at least a third of the Scanlon fee as his reward. Uh, the tribe was accustomed to sending money at Abramoff's direction to various organizations as a part of its public relations efforts. It appears they did not raise questions about the new groups that began to appear at Mr. Abramoff's recommendation. The American International Center, which is a Scanlon company, National Center for Public Policy Research, whose board membership included Abramoff, Capital Athletic Foundation, whose sole board members were Abramoff and his wife, Scanlon Gould Public Affairs, also known as Capital Campaign Strategies. As part of its investigation, the committee uncovered a mind-boggling list of organizations used as financial and grassroots conduits by both Scanlon and Abramoff. The organizations provided an alarming picture of how these groups were used and in some cases manipulated, sometimes for personal gain, sometimes for political gain. But the goal was always the same, to hide, to obscure, and to mislead where the money was coming from and where it was going. The committee didn't need a deep throat to tell us to follow the money. The emails that you will see today have done that for us. Emails show that Mr. Abramoff may have tried to evade taxes by having earned income sent to his private charitable foundation, which seemed also to serve as his personal piggy bank, the Capital Athletic Foundation. Quoting from one of his emails, I have some money, and I quote, I have some money due me from CCS, Capital Campaign Strategies. If I have them, if I have them write it to the Capital Athletic Foundation for services rendered, can the Capital Athletic Foundation just take it and not pay taxes if the services are in the realm of what the Capital Athletic Foundation does? Advice on athletics or something like that. That way the, cap the CCS could expense it and the Capital Athletic Foundation could take it in tax-free. End of quote. Emails show that how Jack Abramoff shopped around for a 501c4 or multiple 501c4s to use as pass-throughs for various money transactions. In an email to Ralph Reed, Mr. Abramoff refers to Amy Reidenauer at the National Center for Public Policy. 
she does not have a C4, I'm quoting now, she does not have a C4, only a C3. So we are back to ATR, Americans for Tax Reform, only. Let me know if this will work. Just do this through ATR until we can find another group. That's February 2nd, 2000. A few weeks later, Abramoff responds to Reed about how to continue funding uh, Reed's work. Thanks, Ralph. I hope to have a decision eminently on going back up hard. I also have a new C4 to use. There are numerous memos between Mr. Abramoff, Reed, ATR, Mr. Norquist, how to move more money through C4s to obscure or deceive the source of the money. And, Mr. Chairman, while it's not in this committee's jurisdiction to determine whether nonprofit organizations were acting legally or not, it certainly begs the question as to whether they were acting within their charitable or tax-exempt purpose, and I hope we will consider a future hearing, perhaps with the Senate Finance Committee, to explore the activities of these 501c3s and 501c4s. And I suggest that we consult with the Finance Committee about how to further investigate those activities. Over the course of the Choctaw's involvement with Mr. Abramoff and Mr. Scanlon, the tribe spent at least $20 million on various lobbying and grassroots activities. No one questions their right to contract for services to grow their business. Like many groups who work with lobbyists, they put their trust in these experts from Washington to do the right thing. But there was a breach of trust and a betrayal. This tribe was never told about the secret scheme that allowed Jack Abramoff to skim $5 million from the money that Michael Scanlon had promised the tribe would be spent on grassroots and public relations, but was not spent on that purpose. The tribe was never told that part of the $1 million they'd been told to send to the center, National Center rather, for public policy research for grassroots organizing would be used to repay a personal loan going back to Jack Abramoff's days as a filmmaker. The tribe was never told that $10,000 of their money would be sent to Reed for chairman when Ralph Reed was seeking the chairmanship of the Georgia Republican Party. The tribe was not told that the $1 million they were directed to send to the Capital Athletic Fund was basically going to Abramoff's pet projects. And we know that the Capital Athletic Fund, allegedly a private charitable foundation, was used as Mr. Abramoff's personal checking account. Were these thefts or just betrayals? And where is the line drawn? Mr. Chairman, this investigation has taken twists and turns that none of us had anticipated. It's uncovered deceptions and greed that even by Washington standards are breathtaking. It has raised questions of ethics and legality that we must pursue. I thank you especially for your persistence and your dogged approach. I look forward today to hearing from the witnesses. Thank you very much. Our first panel is Mr. Charlie Benn, a representative of the Mississippi Band of Choctaw Indians. Donald Kelgore, Esquire, Attorney General for the Mississippi Band of Choctaw Indians, and Ms. Nell Rogers, Planner of the Mississippi Band of Choctaw Indians. Please come forward and welcome to the committee. Do you have an opening statement you want to make? I'm sorry. I apologize uh, why the witnesses are seating. Uh, Senator Kaka has an opening statement. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. I want to thank you and... Uh, Vice Chairman Dorgan for holding this oversight hearing on tribal lobbying practices. Uh, this is the third, as you know, of a series of hearings that this committee has uh, conducted already. Well, I'm appalled by these men, Jack Ab Abramoff and uh, Michael Scanlon. They were able to conduct a pattern and practice of dealings that took advantage of native peoples. I am hopeful that uh, through these hearings, 
the committee will be able to provide guidance in resolving these matters to ensure that this type of history is not repeated again. I look forward, Mr. Chairman, to hearing the testimony from the witnesses who are here today, and thank you for holding this hearing, Mr. Chairman.